This is episode 29 of the Higher Christian Life broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. When it comes to the higher Christian life, what we're striving for is a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord. We want to grow closer to Him and experience Him in ways we never have before. It's like we want to enter into uncharted fellowship and communion with Him. Literally, as it says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we want to have the mind of Christ, which means we want to know everything about Him and experience Him in this fellowship and communion like we never have before. We want all that comes with our life with Christ, and we are willing to sacrifice whatever's necessary to achieve this true intimate fellowship with Him. The laying down of our bodies as living sacrifices in Romans 12, for example, because nothing else really matters than that. I mean, this is what the higher Christian life is all about. But there's this mental mindset that often works against achieving this kind of relationship with the Lord. And until we can get past that, we sometimes find our walk with Him hindered. And this mindset is what we're going to try to remedy today. So let's jump right in and discover the joy of the higher Christian life. When it comes to the higher Christian life, the things we've been talking about for quite a while, I I want you to understand exactly what we're striving for here. What we're looking for is this deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord. I mean, each of us in striving for this higher Christian life realize that we're at a certain level right now. And again, the metric that I always use is on a scale from one to 10, assuming 10 was closer to the Lord than you've ever been in your life. So this was your mountaintop experience. This is something you've already experienced at some point in time in the past. And then where are you now compared to that? Are you a 10? Are you as close to the Lord today as you've ever been before? Or are you a seven or an eight or a six? Which means we're not even as intimate with him as we may have been when we first got saved. And so for us, the higher Christian life would begin by just recapturing ground that we've already lost. And for others, if you are a 10, you're closer right now than you've ever been, then it would be an 11 or a 12 or a 13 moving into deeper intimacy with him. So the higher Christian life, we want to grow closer to him and experience him in ways that we never have before. We want to put a 10 behind us and keep moving on into uncharted fellowship and uncharted communion with him. In essence, as it says in Philippians 3.10, we want to know him listen carefully, and the power, the dudamas power of his resurrection, that's the good news, and the fellowship, the partnership, the koinonia of his sufferings, that's not such good news, and being conformed to his death. In other words, like in 1 Corinthians 2.16, where it says that we have the mind of Christ, it means we want to know everything about him, the good, the power of his resurrection, the bad, the sufferings and the fellowship and the koinonia and the partnership with him and his sufferings and everything in between. We want to experience all of that in fellowship with him in ways we never have. We want all that comes with this life with Christ, and we are willing, for those who 
are searching for the higher Christian life to sacrifice whatever is necessary to achieve this true intimate fellowship with our Lord. That's from Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're willing to sacrifice ourselves. You remember the verse, and I beseech you, brethren, I urge you, brethren, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your flesh, the things that trips us up the most, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service based on the mercies of God. And do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you'll be able to prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God, to be able to hear him speak, to be able to understand when he guides, to experience this higher Christian life. I mean, just think about it. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and there are promises given in Scripture that are meant for us. And most Christians today, I know it's been that way in my own personal life, haven't lived the kind of life that has that intimacy with Him. But all that changes when we embrace the higher Christian life. Now think about it. The life I just described is the abundant life that Jesus promised us in 1 John 10, 10. And it all begins with, and it's fueled with, and it's maintained by faith, but not just static faith. This, it's the object of our faith and the intensity of our faith that moves us from a life of apathy, a six, a seven, an eight, a five, and of lukewarmness to a point where we're able to experience all the joy and all the blessings that come with the higher Christian life. And if you're like most, you're saying, yes, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I'm striving for. But how is that accomplished? How can I have the faith to say no to my flesh and the cares of this life that are pulling on me all the time and say yes to him and his kingdom and all the promises he gives to those who follow him? What holds many back from a life of total surrender or reckless abandon or, as it, they said during the Keswick movement, complete salvation or to let go and let God is a fear listen very carefully, that God will somehow not honor his commitment, nor do his part, nor meet you in the middle, and will leave you hanging and disappointed like an orphan because of some unholy, undesirable, unlikable, or unforgivable trait or sin or flaw in you. That we think somehow we just don't measure up, that God is going to leave us at the altar. He's promised good things to everybody else, but for us, nothing. And the reason is because we're flawed or we're too sinful or we have too much shame or we don't measure up or, or something with us that doesn't allow us to join the team. And since we see ourselves through our own lens of failure and in broken promises, we then assume that God does the same, that we're not really born again, we're just made better by our own flesh and we keep failing. And because we esteem ourselves so little in our own eyes, and that's because we know what we're like on the inside, we assume God also does that and rightly withholds his blessings because he doesn't really like us that much. And if you were honest with yourself, this is probably how you felt at some point in time, maybe even now. 
I mean, why should God keep his promises to someone as unworthy as me? I, I certainly wouldn't. It's kind of like Groucho Marx says, I don't want to join a club that would have me as a member. Why would he go out of his way to answer a prayer for someone as disappointing as I must be to him? I mean, why would he even care? I know if I were God, I wouldn't give a flip about me. So maybe he doesn't either. And we're superimposing on the sovereign, loving, gracious, altruistic creator of the universe, fallen human traits. And we think that's humility. Well, I just have an accurate view of myself. I don't want to be puffed up or narcissistic like everybody else in our culture today. But really, it's nothing more than an opportunity for us to impugn and discredit his name and character by believing the worst about him, literally by imputing to him the worst traits in mankind. We believe, rightly so, that he is sovereign and loving and can do anything he wants at any time he wants, and no one can stand in his way. Yet for some flaw in his character, he chooses not to bless us or answer our prayers or reveal himself to us because he plays favorites, those he loves more than others, and we're not part of the others. We're not included in that crowd. So when we look at the promises of God, we naturally believe they are meant from someone else but not for us. I mean, others get to eat with him as his children, as his loved one at his table, but not us. We have to eat leftovers alone in a kitchen by ourselves after everyone else is finished. We know that God can, but we just don't think he will for us, maybe for others more worthy, but not for us. And nothing can be further from the truth. Listen carefully. The way faith is grown is to put it to use and have it tested. I mean, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, every one of those listed in this hall of faith, this roll call of faith, did something with their faith. Abraham left his home because of his faith. Uh, He sacrificed his son because of his faith. Moses did this because of his faith. And over and over again, we see that this faith is not just in believing. This faith is believing that leads to action and a changed life. Their faith is not passive or sterile or academic. It's active and was tested and therefore grew. And our faith functions exactly the same way, especially when it comes to believing God's promises. God has many times in his word given us promises and said that he is well able to fulfill his promises to us. But if we only believe God is able, but not willing for some reason, then we forfeit the blessing he wants to give us and our faith in him flounders at best. Yes, I know God can, I just don't think he will. Plus, it makes God petty and vindictive and almost abusive in loving and favoring some of his children more than he does others. You and I would hate to see a father do that to his kids. I mean, what kind of father does that, yet we assume God does it towards us? Nothing could be further from the truth. So we need to come to a place in our life, especially as we move forward in learning how to experience this higher Christian life, that promises of God apply to us, not just to them back then or them today that we deem more worthy than we are, but they actually apply 
to us because God is faithful in what he says to everyone, including people that know as much bad stuff about us as we do. I mean, after all, he saved us in spite of that, did he not? So you need to ask yourself, and I'm only going to give you one of these today. Does this promise apply to you? Or does this promise apply to everybody else but you? There are hundreds of these. Let me just give you one. This is 2 Corinthians 2.9, and here's what it says. As it is written, quote, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? Does this promise apply to you? It means that you can't imagine in the deepest recesses of your heart the wondrous things that God has prepared, not for just them, but for you, for those who love him. If you love him, you have met the requirement. Not others only, but you. Once you firmly settle this in your mind and come to see that believing anything other than what God says makes God less of a father than you want for your own children, you need to settle it today. God is not a liar. He keeps his promise even to you always. So make it personal. God can, I mean, he is able to fulfill all his promises, say it, to me regardless of how unworthy I am or what I think about myself. It doesn't really matter. This isn't about your worthiness. It's about his faithfulness. And God is not only able, make it personal again, and God is not only able, but he is willing, joyfully willing, to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that's the Holy Spirit that works in us. That's from Ephesians 3.20. You might want to take that verse and commit it to memory. And do you know why God is able to do that and willing to do that? Because that's what a good father does. And God is a good father and a wondrous father with no flaws in him at all. And so the next time you feel self-condemnation to the point that you want to impute to God terrible motives. My dad didn't love me, and God probably doesn't love me either. Realize that he's not like that at all, that you need to settle it in your mind that God is not only able, that we have no problem accepting, but he is willing, joyfully willing to reveal himself to you. Remember Jude 124. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory, listen to this part, with exceeding joy. That is the God we serve. And if you will settle this in your mind today, that all his promises are real, then tomorrow I'm going to share with you the first of the three truths that when you realize these truths are for you and you can accept those, they will take you so far in experiencing the higher Christian life that you're going to wonder why you didn't embrace them before. I look forward to talking with you again tomorrow. Until then.